You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And you are here today in a church service like this because of that man. Otherwise, we would have been under Catholic rule. So I'm going to do a teaching on this today to help you understand and be so thankful for what this man did for us. The Reformation was the 16th century religious, political, intellectual, and cultural upheaval that started in Europe setting in place the structures and beliefs that would define the continent in the modern era and bring about what we know, we know as Western civilization. In Northern and Central Europe, reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Henry VIII challenged papal authority and questioned the Catholic Church's ability to define Christian practice. They argued for a religious and political redistribution of power into the hands of Bible and pamphlet-reading pastors and princes. Historians date the start of the Reformation to the 1517 publication of Martin Luther's 95-point theses. The key idea of the Reformation were not themselves novel. Luther and other reformers became the first to skillfully use the power of the printing press to give their ideas a wide audience. No reformer was more in-depth than Martin Luther at using the power of the press to spread his message. Between 1518 and 1525, Luther published more than the next 17 most prolific reformers combined. Martin Luther, 1483 to 1546, was an Augustinian monk and university lecturer in the Wittenberg when he composed these 95 theses which protested the Pope's sell of indulgences. If you don't understand what that means, he was making people pay him money so they could build this new cathedral. <clears throat> and he would tell them they could even give him money and he could get their, dead, or their, loved, their loved ones that were already dead out of hell, which was not true. And so he was just robbing the people and Martin Luther had enough of it. And he said, this is wrong. We need to go back to the scriptures and not your traditions of the Catholic Church. And the, th the three big ideas of the Reformation were, number one, faith alone. Two, grace alone. And three, Bible alone. Amen. I love the fact that in the English, grace has five letters. Faith has five letters. And Babel, a Bible has five letters. We're going to start off with the fig tree, and I know that you've heard uh, Pastor John teach on this. In Genesis 3, 7, and the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they show, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I don't know if you guys would look very good in an apron, but I guess that's what he needed. I don't know. The fig leaf represents man's attempts to relate to God his own religious efforts to be able to stand in God's presence. All religious systems are built on these things. Number one, fear. 
Thanks. I like that. <laughs> Fear, that is, you know, you've heard people say, you know, if you break the speed limit, the angels are off, people. No, they're not. No, they're not. He said he would surround us with angels always. Insecurity is the second one. <laughs> and that is losing your salvation. Let me tell you something. Jesus said that when he came to us, he would be with us always. So that is another thing that the preachers stand in the pulpit and tell you that if you go out dancing, honky-tonking, whatever, you're losing your salvation, and there's nothing further from the truth. Guilt is the third one. He had to die for you, you wretched sinner. Don't you feel bad for what, you had to, what Jesus had to go through for you? No, he came because he wanted to. Amen. Legalism. The gospel is full of the law, so much so that it's not the gospel, which is supposed to be good news. It's only the reforming of the Old Testament law. We're not under the law. Amen. Amen. Ecumenicalism. Belief that all the denominations need to come together. No. Denominations need to die because this is the biggest sin in the church. It has completely divided the body of Christ. And it needs to leave. Anti-Semitism, it's a doctrine in the church that replaces the Jews with the church. As though God has forgotten the Jews when in fact this new covenant was made with them. In Hebrews 8, 10 through 13, it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Formalism. This is the rituals that replace a relationship with Christ. Repeated prayers that are not written in the Bible, like Hail Mary, Mother Full of Grace like confessing sins to the priest, like special robes, the observance of holy days above a commitment to being in the church. Mark eleven twelve says, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything therein when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter, after his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but shall, 
But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to them, rebracing, re, re, I'm sorry, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God, because we know all things are possible with him. You realize the only thing that Jesus ever cursed was the fig tree. Because that fig tree in the garden is where man gave up his authority. And that's why he took the leaves from the fig tree and used it to cover himself so that he could present himself to God. So he was doing it his way. So I just want to I want to say to you today have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And have faith in God. Can you say that? Have faith in God. Uh, the second point is grace, which is charis. Total of Paul uses 86 times the word grace in his books. Romans, he used it 20 times. 1 Corinthians, six times. 2 Corinthians, 14 times. Galatians, seven times. Ephesians, 12 times. Philippians, three times. Colossians, five times. 1 Thessalonians, twice. 2 Thessalonians, four times. 1 Timothy, three times. 2 Timothy, four times. Titus, four times. Philemon, two times. What do you think Paul was trying to get across to the people? Grace. He did not write one letter without using the word grace at least twice. Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. When was the last time you praised grace? Aren't you so grateful that we have grace in our lives. It forever changes us, and it's what helps us walk this walk of faith because it's only by the grace of God that we can do it. You are accepted on the basis of what Jesus did, not you. This acceptance came as Jesus dealt not only with your sin, but with the sin of Adam. When he led captivity captive, he paid for their release. This past week, um, I've had a lot on my mind. In fact, John was kind of laughing at me the last few days. I lost my keys every day. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> anyway, but, I, you know, I just, I just have a lot on my mind. And so because of that, one, one night I was, I was sleepless, and I was not in Seattle. <laughs> because I had to make some serious decisions. And um, I know Dr. Huller tells y'all that I'm perfect, but I'm not. <laughs> I have struggles too sometimes. I am human, whether y'all believe it or not. But the next morning I got up, you know, and I just was still struggling. And from an unknown number, I got this text. 
Good morning, Miss Ann. About a month ago, one night I asked the Lord if there was something special I could do for him. It would really please him, and I believe in the middle of the night, he told me it would really please him if I prayed for you and your whole family. As much as a part of my prayer for my whole family, I just wanted to share with you how much God loves you. I was like, was that you, Lord? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. And then later that day, I got another text. I like text for the most, <laughs> for the most part. This one said, um, I love you. I hope you're having the best day today. Thank you, my precious friends, for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, you never know. You never know what just doing a simple thing like that can do for a person because you don't know what the struggles they're going through at the time. But God speaks to people, and when he speaks to you to do something, don't just brush it off because there's a reason he tells you to do that. And, they, you know, I just thank the Lord that these two special women in my life were obedient that day because it comforted my heart. You know, God's grace is sufficient for every day. He loves us, and he knows what we are going through. So whatever you're going through today, just trust the grace of God that he will see you through it because he said he would. Bible, 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 Bible. Galatians 3, 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, the problem with this was that the Bible had not begun to be written for four to 500 years. So there's a time frame here that's questionable, but this verse clearly says that the scriptures preached to Abraham. Some of you were here Wednesday night when Dr. Holler was teaching on this. So when did Abraham have the scriptures preached to him? Casey knows this. <laughs> Genesis 15, that all-important place where God revealed himself to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's verse 6, a monumental scripture that we need to hold on to. And then Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward in a vision. So this was a word he saw. What do we call that word? A word seen in a vision is a written word. This means the Bible was written in heaven before it was translated on the earth. Think about that. Abraham saw that before it was ever written. God's will has always been written down. You know, wills must be written down before they can be validated. Uh, when my dad passed away, he had had several wills because he got mad and wrote some of us out and put us back in and <laughs> I was never written out just so you know <laughs> that's why he made me the executor because <laughs> he knew I would make him do what it said but it has to be written down and so it's very important because that's the one that counted the last one I had the last version you know, the Lord always has known what he was going to do, and he wrote it down. This we are certain of because Christ was slain. When? 
before the foundation of the world. And there are a number of books written in heaven in Revelation 20:12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20:15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hopefully all your names are there. I believe in God they are. Because if you've accepted Christ as your savior, your name's there. And it won't be blotted out. Thank you, Jesus. The book of life is a book that they put your name in the day you were born. That's just precious to me. That the day I was born, the Lord put my name in there. That's just amazing. And at the judgment scene, see, names are being blotted out. But your name is there to stay because you put your name there by your faith in Jesus. And some books are reserved for us to know about their contents at the judgment and not before. Like Malachi 3:16 through 18. Then they feared the Lord, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Did you know that every time you talk you talk about the Lord, they're writing it down? They're keeping records of it. Isn't that precious? He loves you. And I just, that just ministers so much to me that when I get to heaven, I'll get to see all the things that the Lord wrote about me because I talk about him a whole lot. I don't know about y'all. I love him. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serves him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous, the wicked, and between him that serves God and him that serveth him not. But the Bible is for you right now. What can the Bible do for you? It can do a lot. In 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ. Through the scriptures, that's how you learn, and that's how faith comes to your heart to know Jesus. And that's why we pray this prayer. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to come upon you as the word goes forth because it comes alive in your heart. Amen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice, it did not say it would save you, but it can make you wise unto salvation through Jesus. So apparently, the reason God Almighty wrote the entire Bible was to reveal to mankind his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. He wanted you to know him. He wants you in heaven with him when it's all over. And that's why he wrote this book down, so you would come to know who he is. And apparently the whole Bible was written in heaven before it was revealed on earth because Abraham got the message about Jesus 2,000 years before it was written. Isn't that amazing? I love my God. <laughs> 
And I want to encourage you as your pastor this year not to wait for Dr. Holler to bring our prophets. We love our prophets. We believe in prophets. We know they are a vital part of the body. But you know what? You can understand the word just like they can. Amen? I mean, I love the prophets. Uh, I used to, was deathly afraid of them because in the beginning, you know, everybody said, they're going to tell everything about you in front of everybody. (laughs) Thank God they didn't because I was hiding. But anyway... But we really do believe in them and we do bring them to uplift you and edify you because that's what they're supposed to do. But you can also do that for yourself. If you'll put your nose into that Bible and read it with the clear understanding that grace and faith trump all the Old Testament mandates, then you will, you too will hear from God. The Bible is God's will written down. The part that holds the mystery is key to understanding the history. You know, if you stay in the Word all the time, uh, we called her Mama Lindsay at Christ for the Nations, she would do this, and what she was saying is three chapters every day, five on Sunday. And you can read through the Bible in one year by doing that. Not only that, but as you read it, You know, your world comes alive and faith rises up in your heart to believe God for whatever it is you're believing God for this year. I um, told my people the other night, my congregation, I said, I want you, last year we did this. I made a mistake. People did not put their names on the paper, so I didn't know who to give it to. We gave all those back uh, to the people that were here Wednesday. What are you believing God for this year? And I wanted to open all those up and see if prayers got answered. And the ones that did find their piece of paper, had God answered your prayer? Some of them it was different than what they thought it was going to be because, you know, we plan things out and we think it's going to work this way. Even though it did come to pass, it wasn't like they thought it was going to be. But it's just interesting to see how God works in our lives. But, you know, the word says write the vision and make it plain. And you need to get it before your eyes so that you can stand and believe God for these things this year. This is a great year. It's going to, to me, I I really believe it's going to be a phenomenal year unlike any other we've seen, especially in the spiritual realm because we are celebrating the 500th year of the Reformation. And I believe, like I said, with that comes faith, the word, and grace. So how could it not be a great year? It's going to be awesome. Amen. In uh, whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of whose will? His will. It's his will. If God needs counsel, he reads his own book, the Bible, the one you have in your hand. You know, and like I said, this year is the 500th year of the Reformation. I always believe in, I don't know if it's because I come from a military family or what, but I just believe that people that make sacrifices for us should be honored in great ways. It's the way I feel about the military people. I always post stuff on my Facebook about people that have sacrificed their life for us. I mean, you think about it. There are many countries people can't sit in a church building and worship their God like you do. 
because, I mean, you know, we take it for granted. We just think, well, everybody gets to do this, but no, they don't. Some of them have to meet underground and, you know, hide themselves and don't let anybody know that they're worshiping God and that they're reading his word. I am so thankful for America, but it is because people have sacrificed their lives for us, and I think they need to be honored. I am so grateful that Jesus sacrificed the greatest life for you. And because of that, he wants you to come to know him as your personal savior. Um, you know, when John and I turned our lives around back in the early 70s, uh, John was real popular. He had the most awesome band in the whole county, and so they played in every bar and every Saturday night, and uh, he was very popular <laughs> for the wrong reason. But, you know, when John and I were dating, his mother told me, well, John got sick, so she had to take me home one night, and we sat in the car till about 3 o'clock in the morning with her telling me, her son was called to preach. And I'm sitting there thinking, you don't know him very well. <laughs> I'm not thinking so. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of our testimony. Uh, we always went to church, though. You know, we were on the back row, but we were in church. Because his mother came by and got us every Sunday and said, you're going to church. So we went. And now you have to understand, I came out of a very different kind of church than what Dr. Holler had come out of. I mean, we were more about what we didn't believe in. We didn't believe in musical instruments. We didn't believe in grace. We didn't believe in, you know, everything was what we didn't believe in. And I, I didn't like that God. You know, it's horrible to serve a God that you think is just so mean and that he hates you and that he's ready to blast you off the earth because he's nothing like that. But that's what I was taught. And so when I, the first time I went to church with John, of course we were on the back row, and uh, here comes the, daughter, the uh, pastor's daughter back. And of course, I had never really felt the Spirit of God like that. And so it scared me. And she came back and raised her hand and told him he was gonna be a pillar in the church and he was gonna do this and he was gonna do that. And uh, I just went home and cried all day. I said, those people are crazy. I'm never going back there. <laughs> because it scared me. You know, I mean, I had had, I didn't know they were God things happen in my life as a kid. But when I look back now, I know they were. I mean, when I, before I was three years old, I was stabbed a quarter of an inch away from my heart, which was a miracle I lived. Then I fell off a diving board. I passed out and fell off a diving board came back up, I was still alive. <laughs> and it fell out of the back of a pickup, head first. Glory, now y'all know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but you, you know, you think about the grace of God in your life and how he has his hand on you. So when John and I were 21, well, John's mother had told me all this time, you know, that he was gonna be a preacher and, and uh, so one night she was praying and she said, God, when? When? Because she had witnessed all her friends at work and they just laughed her to scorn, you know, especially with his name being in the paper all the time, playing at all the bars. But she stood her ground. 
and believed God for him. And uh, she, just, she was praying one night. She said, Lord, when? I, I just, you need to tell me when this is going to happen. And he said, when he's 21. Well, that was just a few months away. So, like I said, we, we went to church, and we hung out with the pastor's son and his girlfriend and went on dates together. Well, one night we went to see the exorcist. That's what good Christians do, right? I mean, of course, I laughed through the whole thing. I thought it was hilarious. You know, I'm going, good grief, this is ridiculous. So we get home, and John goes, that stuff is real. And I'm going, no, it's not. Yes, it is, Ann. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. I've seen it. And I'm going, no, you haven't. This went on till 3 o'clock in the morning. And I finally, he said, I've got to call my mama. So he called his mother at 3 in the morning, <laughs> which I'm sure she didn't appreciate. But he just asked her to pray for him. And from that moment, he was never the same. And uh, I always loved John. I mean, from the time I was 15 years old. And we got married when we were 16. So finished school, went to college, did everything. So by the grace of God. But um, he cried all the time. You know, I'm fixing this great meal, chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, salad, beans, rolls. And he'd come to the table and he'd just sit there and look at that food and he'd go, I gotta go pray. And I'm going. And this went on for months. He cried all the time because he was so sorry for what he had done. Because he knew he was called from an early age. But he had rebelled through his teenage years. And um, so I think that's one reason he is so strong about the word of God because he doesn't want other people to regret like he did. And um, anyway, so uh, it was really funny because I had a dream about him one night and I knew he was saved in the dream because his eyes were different. And I didn't even know about the scripture that the eyes are the window of the soul. But I woke up the next morning and I, I said, I, saw, I dreamed about you and you were saved in the dream. And he said, how did you know? And I said, because your eyes were different. And that's when he told me that scripture. I said, I knew that. <laughs> I knew nothing. <laughs> Trust me. Anyway, so, you know, uh, we thought we were going to Kansas City to Bible college because we had an old prophet that used to come through at our church there and we thought that would be where we were going well John's mother was going to a um, home group in Gainesville Texas with this chiropractor that she used to go to and uh, so she said she told us one night she said I want y'all to come and meet uh, Dr. Russell so we said okay so we went and it was a dynamic service and uh, you know we we just loved it and uh, so after the words, he's, he came up to John and he says, yeah. He said, John, tell me, what, what are you thinking you're going to do? And he said, well, we're going to go to Kansas to a Bible school. And he said, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> he said, you're going to go to Christ for the Nations. He said, I've never even heard of Christ for the Nations. And, um, but his mother had always told him, the Lord told her not to put him in any kind of denomination that he was going to go to a school somewhere that was non-denominational. Well, back then, there wasn't one that was unheard of. 
And so anyway, he, um, he got to meet him. And then that Thursday, they took us to Dallas to Christ for the Nations, Dr. Russell and his wife, and introduced us there. And so that's where we went to Bible college because John, could, he was worked on the railroad, and so he transferred to Dallas. We went to Bible college, and it forever changed our lives. And um, we really got to know who God really was. And uh, it was such a defining moment for us. We met our best friends there, Terry and Sandy Sparks, still best friends today. And, you know, God, any moment in time, your life can change for the better. It just takes coming across the right person to lead you to where you need to go. You know, the steps of the righteous are ordered by him. And so, you know, it kind of looked crazy to a lot of our family. They didn't understand what we were doing, and all of our friends left us. So our best friend was our 67-year-old pastor at that time. And we spent every Monday night at his kitchen table with him sharing the word with us and teaching us what it meant. Even though he was raised in a denomination, uh, he understood the grace of God like none other. And he taught that grace to us, and that's another thing that changed our lives. So I encourage you um, that when God speaks to you to do something, do it. You know That grace is there at that moment to help you fulfill what God has called you to do. I, um, and I remember when we finally, after we got back from Bible college, you know, the worst thing we thought we could do was go back to Thackerville because I did not like that town. <laughs> it was rough. Well, I had moved there from Ardmore, so I was an outcast. I was never accepted in that town. These little towns have a tendency to do that. I don't understand that. So anyway, but of course John was born and raised there, so he was loved. But anyway, uh, so after we came back from Bible college, we went to back to Thackerville, and we wound up pastoring our home church for a year. John had told him, he said, look, I'll pastor here for one year. He said, but you better be looking for somebody because this is not my call. I'll fill in. And so we did, and that was probably the hardest year of our pastoring. You know, it's hard to pastor your home church. I don't know if you know that. Because they just look at you like, you're John boy. What are you doing telling me what to do? You know, And so much so that our best friend, the pastor's son that we thought was our best friend, stood up to him one day in front of everybody. And it was like, holy cow. But, you know, we learned so much through that. And... Um, like I said, God takes crazy situations, and he teaches you a lot out of it. So after a year, uh, we got a call from a friend that we had gone to Bible college with, and he said, I'd like for you to come out here and be our youth pastor in San Angelo, Texas. Well, you would have thought we were going across the planet the way our families acted. I'm like, okay, it's not that far. <laughs> My kids have gone across the world. <laughs> so, but we're just going across to Texas. It's going to be okay. Anyway, so we went out there and pastored four years. Actually wound up leaving, living out there for 15 years, raising our kids. And um, we had a Christian school. They all graduated from that. And then the Lord said, go to Austin and build a church. 
we didn't really understand that. But well, we had been drawn to the hill country, but we thought, you know, five years from now we'll figure this all out and we'll go because we owned four city blocks. We had six of the most expensive acres in San Angelo, Texas, where we were fixing to build a new building. We had a Christian school, everything paid for, hundreds of thousands in the bank. And the, God, and the Lord says, go to Austin and pioneer a church. <laughs> and we're like, really, now? Yep. So that was in May. We were at Brother Osteen's, John, not Joel's. And he laid his hands on us, and he preached a sermon. He said, get out of the boat. Get out of your comfort zone and go do what God's told you to do. And so when we walked away from all that, people really thought we'd lost our minds. I was beginning to wonder, but anyway, so we went to Austin, pioneered a church there, which that's the church that our son Brandon pastors now, still going. He just directs our paths. You know, it looks crazy to our, maybe even you, when he tells you to do something. But I promise you, if you will do it, you will be blessed beyond. We had bought an old Victorian home in San Angelo, and which my husband, bless his heart, he hated it because I'm an interior decorator, so I was always remodeling. And so he hated that. He never had to do any of it. I don't know why he hated it. But anyway, so I pretty much had it almost exactly like I wanted it. And that's when God said go. And my little youth pastor came over. They lived next door to us. She came over, and I'm packing everything up. And she goes, how do you do this? You're just walking away from everything. You're walking away from this house. You finally got it like you want it. And I just looked at her, and I said, there's houses everywhere. God has told us to go. We have to go. We have to obey him. So we went there and pioneered the church, and we were there for three years. And then the Lord said, through my husband, we're going to Dallas. <laughs> we're in Dillard's shopping for me. And I, I see him get a phone call. And he's going, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yes, yes. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So he gets off the phone, and I said, um, who, who are you talking to? I was talking to Dennis Lindsay. He just hired me. I said, honey, that's going to be a long commute from Austin to Dallas every day. He goes, well, we're moving. Now you know why I have faith like I do. Because that kind of thing right there. You know, because a lot of women would not have done it. I know women that have not done it. And now their husband's out of the ministry. So I'm just saying, and I'm not bragging on me, it's the grace of God on my life to be able to do that, you know. And so in 2000, we moved to Dallas, Texas, and John became the Dean of Families at Christ for the Nations. And I was so mad at him. I, I just, it took me a while to get over that one. But a year later, I knew why we were there. Because you see, for 25 years, we had not had any medical insurance whatsoever. 
And one year later, I had to have brain surgery. God is guiding. <laughs> you know, like I said, what seems crazy, but if you'll obey, all of that was paid for for us. That would have totally devastated us financially because it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he got me to the perfect doctor. He was an amazing man. He was one of the best, th third best neurosurgeons in the world. So if you ever need brain surgery, I know the doctor to go to. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, we pastored in McKinney for several years. And, um, and we met Curtis Coker and Joy through uh, Christopher at Christ for the Nations. And they started coming to our house in McKinney because John was mentoring some men, young boys, every Sunday afternoon. And so... Christopher invited his mom and, mom and dad to come. Christopher came to John and he said, I, I just got to tell you, I thought my dad was nuts. He said, when I came here and heard these people, I'm going, my dad really is crazy. He said, but you sound just like him. <laughs> he said, I want my dad to meet you. So that's when we met and uh, we started coming here. Curtis wanted us to come and before we knew it, then they put Dr. John in as the apostle over the church. I don't know if y'all understand the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We believe in the five-fold ministry and that it is still alive today. And that's why we have a ministry called the Five Conference because we oversee 25 pastors all over. And so once a year they come in and we have meetings here and they're awesome. But when we met Curtis, he, um, he was ready to leave. And John kept telling him, you're not leaving that church. You can't do that to those people. And that's what we do. We, we help pastors fulfill what God's called them to do. And when they want to run, we say, no, not happening. Well, Curtis had had his mother's house for sale for I don't know how many years. And this, by this time, three and a half years have passed, and we're kind of a part of the church and love y'all, and we're so glad we got to come because we quit pastoring in McKinney and gave that church to our older son. My kids all inherited, and our daughter inherited the Dallas church. So we told our kids we were young when we had you. We don't have a big savings account, so we're going to give you a building <laughs> and a congregation, and there's your inheritance. <laughs> I mean, you got an inheritance. <laughs> you make it as big as you want, you know, and that's what they've done. So um, Curtis had had this house for sale for, I don't know, three years, I guess, and he was ready to go. And he called John one day. He said, I, I just think it's time for us to go. We need to go to Minnesota. I believe God's called us there. And John told him, he said, all right, Curtis. He said, I tell you what. Now, this house has been on the market for three years. And he told him, he said, when your mom's house sells, you can go. It's sold the next week. <laughs> I'm like, what? So John goes, oh, my gosh. Because, you know, we usually have young men in the wings that we could send to another church if they lose their pastor. 
but at that time we didn't have one. So once again, my husband <laughs> had the great idea. He goes, you know what, Ann? I think you can pastor a church. <laughs> I was like, have you lost your mind? But by God's grace, because you see, I was the little girl that always hid in the corner because I was so shy. I know that's hard for you to believe because I'm standing up here today and acting like this is no big deal. But I was terrified to get in front of people. Hence, the grace of God. And, you know, whatever you have in your life, I know that God only has good plans for you. And when I really learned that he really was a good, good father, it changed my life. And it can change yours because if, you, if you're afraid of him all the time, you don't want to serve him. Just like I was in that denominational church I went to. I was terrified of God. And I remember walking out when I was 12 years old going, I don't like you. I don't like this God. I think there's a different one. And I found him. <laughs> I found the real Lord and Savior of my life. So I just want you to know today that his grace is sufficient for you and that his word is sufficient for you and that his faith is sufficient for whatever you need in your life. I love you all very much. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I um, To know where I came from and to see where God has brought me, it's nothing but my God's grace. And he wants that for you because he loves you with all of his heart. He gave his precious son for you so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. He wants everybody in heaven. Not everybody will go, but everybody has an opportunity. He promises. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank you for listening to me today, and I hope you got something out of this. I know it was a lot of reading, but I wanted you educated in how grateful we need to be for Martin Luther. We don't worship him, but we thank God for the boldness that rose up in that man that brought this to us. All right, God bless you.